Well, 8.15, how are you doing this morning? 8.15, y'all doing all right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that 15 minutes, that is a bigger deal than I thought it was going to be. How many, how many of you agree on that? Some of you are like, I missed worship, Pastor. I want to just apologize for that. Last week, as I was going through the notes, I just realized that I was like rushing through some things that I really felt like of all the people that needed to hear it and be encouraged by it, it would be those who show up to church early to hear God's word. And so I just called an audible. If you want to be mad at anybody, be mad at me. It's going around. Okay, but I, I moved everything up 15 minutes. I just feel like we needed more time to lean into God's word. I will tell you this, uh, my, our, my children's pastor was so excited when I did that because we kept, yeah, you can clap. Come on, clap for our kids. Because every time I go late, uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal for us, but it becomes a bit of a crisis for our Vintage Kids team. And, and while we're working on getting that building stood up and getting more rooms so that we can have more space, uh, we got to move a little bit. So thank you so much. Give it up for yourself for being here 15 minutes early. Thank you so much. Super glad that you're here. If you are just joining us, we are halfway. We are at the halfway mark, week three of a six-week series where together we've been going through each of the chapters in the New Testament book of Ephesians. This book was written specifically to the church at a time where God was preparing, right, to change the city through this church. I had the opportunity to go uh, to the uh, area where Ephesus was, walk around the ruins. I dug into the history uh, of that church, which I had actually never done before this series, and it's absolutely amazing how it parallels to the church today. Here's what I know about everything that's written in the Bible. It is relevant today. If we'll just open it and allow it to direct, and for some of us redirect us, all of the answers are in God's Word. And so today we're going to talk uh, more specifically about the purpose of the church. As the Apostle Paul has been building in his letter, he starts off by saying, listen, the church is God's idea. The first week we talked about how the church is was a great mystery. Not even the apostles, the disciples who turned apostles, knew that that was ultimately God's plan. The Bible says that the church was a mystery hidden in the heart of God since the foundation of the earth. It was revealed in the person of Christ. The apostle starts with that big picture, and then he starts talking about what it is that actually unites us. Last week, we talked about the unity of the church. Our unity does not come uh, from being uniform, all looking the same. The truth is, our diversity is given to us by God. God allows us to have different experiences, uh, to be born in different regions and different areas. All right, that is God's plan, but that's not actually what unites us. What unites us is what makes us the same in Christ. And so if you missed last week, I really want to encourage you to go back because each week we're actually building on something that the Apostle Paul's laying out. We do have our mobile app back up on uh, the App Store. We had some technical difficulties. I do want to encourage you to go ahead and download that. You can follow along uh, with the notes there. You can also, of course, get notes when you come in. I want to encourage you, um, what we learn on Sunday really should be uh, meditated on on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You get, you get it. Okay, because God wants to continue to speak to you right where you are, not just Sunday, but every single day. Before I jump in and talk more about the purpose of the church, which the Apostle Paul lays it out in Ephesians 3, we obviously have so many things going on that I want to draw your attention to. I can't get to all of them, which is another reason why you should download the app, why you should be involved. And if you, if you don't get text updates, make sure you sign up for those. If you haven't hooked on to uh, our social media accounts, if you haven't hooked on to our email list, make sure that you do that because our team is constantly keeping you up to speed on everything 
go on. But there are two things I want to make, uh, I want to talk about. The first one is Membership U. Okay, Membership U is an incredible opportunity for those of you that maybe you've been coming to the church for a while, maybe even coming for a long time, but you don't really know what we believe. You don't really know particularly how our church is structured. You don't really understand uh, how the environments are designed to help you grow. What I'd like to do in that much smaller environment is just get everyone together and talk to you. As a matter of fact, right after service, the last service today, the 1115 service at one o'clock, I believe, at one o'clock is, oh, it's up there. At one o'clock uh, in this room, if you haven't signed up, but you're interested in that, come and, and, and join us. We're going to be able to really talk about a lot of different things. It's going to be really cool too. We've actually beefed up that event just a bit. It will be in here and you have no excuses. Here's why. If you have kids, we'll take care of them. Come on. We'll even feed them. Okay. And, uh, you, and, and quite frankly, we also feed you. And so if you have lunch plans, just, you know, sacrifice those plans for a nice box lunch from some sandwich shop, okay, that's open on Sundays. Be here. We would love to talk to you about the church. Next, uh, we've been talking about this for some time, but next, uh, we have an information meeting for the Church Leadership College tonight in this exact same room. It's going to be here at 5 p.m. We already have over 60 over 60 adults signed up who want to learn more about what it looks like to be in full-time ministry. As I've looked out as a pastor, we literally, as a church, as a whole, have a massive leadership crisis. It is a big deal. The average age of, the, of an American is 38 years old. The average age of a pastor is 58. What does that mean? There's an entire generation of people that haven't been raised up. The truth of the matter is most of our mainline seminaries and ministry schools have absolutely gone broke. They've moved away from the truth of scripture. They've moved away from being planted and established in the church. And quite frankly, they've moved away from teaching believers how to actually hear the Holy Spirit. Here's what I know is that if the guides are blind, they're going to lead all the people behind them in directions that God doesn't uh, want. And so what we've done is we've partnered with Global University to offer a fully accredited program that is actually completely doable if you have a full-time job or if you just like to experience uh, what ministry is. Matter of fact, tonight I'm going to talk um, to that group and you're invited to come. We're also going to feed you. I'm not sure if it's a, lunch, a box lunch or not, but we're going to feed you um, tonight and I am going to talk to you about how do you know if you're called to full-time ministry. Some of you, you've had the thought. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's kind of, you know, Pokes you, maybe you've mentioned something to me or one of our staff, we would love to talk to you about that and then the specific details surrounding the church leadership college. And so I want to make sure that if you're here, we, 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 we cover that. Um, what we're going to do, um, just as a, as a pot in a posture of honor, I think it's so important in a world that's discarding God's word that God's people honor it above all else. Here's what I know. It is the surest foundation to build your life. When, not if storms come, you'd better make sure that as a believer, if your faith is going to go the distance, it's got to be built on the truth of God's word, the whole truth of God's word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue something we started several months back where we stand as we honor God's word. Would you stand with me as I read Ephesians chapter 3 and we jump into the purpose of the church. Ephesians 3, 1 through 21. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. So he alludes to chapters 1 and 2. He's building on that this week. By reading this, you are able to understand the insight into the mystery of Christ. 
This was not made known to the, to his this this was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members. Everyone say members. Members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all saints, to proclaim. Everyone say proclaim. That's going to be a big theme in the purpose of the church. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. I can't believe I pronounced that word right. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church to the culture, to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, everyone say him. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, everyone say me, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the length, the width, the height, and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love this passage. Now to him, Christ, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power of that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Powerful, isn't it? It is unbelievable how every problem we face as believers in the church, he's addressing all of them in the word. You know, oftentimes I'll have people walk up to me and you might notice that I wear a white wristband Okay, every single day, almost everywhere I go, I rarely ever forget to wear it. I want to explain it for just a minute because it goes into the purpose of the church. On it, I write, it's a white silicone band, and on it, I get a permanent marker, although nothing is permanent on this material, that's on purpose, and I write on it every day, every day. That is a reminder to me and to us that every day God wants to work in our life. Every day reminds us that today is not yesterday. It also reminds us that today is not tomorrow. That as we're walking in Christ, many times we forget that the secret to all of the things in our world, including those things that start in our own life, working at our salvation in fear and trembling, we are held responsible in Christ for what we do today, every day. And it's interesting because when I wear this, I, I specifically chose this material because what happens is as I wear this throughout the week, I sweat. As I wear this throughout the week, I change clothes and it rubs up on my garments and it starts to fade. You know, that happens with us as believers as well. We come into the kingdom, we're born again, we follow Jesus. But then as the days go on, every day, 
in and day out, what happens is that realization in our own heart begins to fade. And one of the purposes of the church, is we're going to talk about that today, one of the primary purposes is to continue to proclaim the truth of God's Word. Do you know why? It's not because you don't have a Bible that you can read yourself. It's not because you don't have a faith that is highly personal. It's actually because your faith was never meant to be private. There's something powerful when you gather with other believers and you hear God's Word together that unifies what God wants to do through Christ in the church. And here's what happens. As life happens, as people come and go, that begins to fade. And if we're not careful as believers, here's what we do. We forget that God's plan for the church is the best plan for our life and for our entire world. Let me say it this way. The church is God's plan A, and he does not have a plan B. You and I, it's probably wise that from time to time we have plan B, C, and D. But God doesn't need that. Do you know why? Because he's God and his plan A always works. The question is, will we work it every day? I'm going to say every day. Every day. That's really the point. And that's the, that's the reason we constantly have to be reminded. Because the enemy's strategy is always to divide. It's always to divide. God multiplies and the enemy tries to minimize through Division. Here's how it works. First, we drift away from God's word. That's why we're starting a school. There's nothing, nothing more valuable and more important than training up the next generation, our children, to love and to fear God. To fear God is to hate evil. I didn't say hate people, but hate the evil that destroys people. We have to train up the next generation. It is why we are starting a church leadership college. It is why. Because anytime we drift from God's word, we find ourselves in the next phase which is distortion of the truth. All of a sudden, we can't tell which way to go, which way's up. All of a sudden, what happens is, through division, the enemy creates confusion. We move away from God's word. He begins to distort the truth. It started all the way back in the garden, right? He distorted the truth. God said, you shall not eat from this tree. Every other tree is yours. You can have it. It's, they surround you, and they're so much better. But this one tree, do not eat eat. Then Adam turns and presumably talks to Eve and shares that with her. Then the servant, then the serpent comes in and says, did God really say? Notice Eve's response. Yes, he says that we shouldn't eat of it and we shouldn't touch it. Did God ever say you shouldn't touch it? No, it was a distortion of the truth. That happens in our life when we move away from the truth of scripture. It happens just like these wor this word every day begins to fade on this band. It happens in our life. And so what do we do? We have to return to the word of God. So this begs the question. The apostle Paul gets right into it. He talks about the mystery. He talks about how God set it up this way. Then he talks about what unifies us in Christ and in the church. Then in chapter three, he pivots and he talks about the purpose. If you don't understand the purpose of the church, you'll never get what God wants you to get from it. Your life will never be built up in it. In him, in his power working through us, not through me, not just through you, but through us. Everyone say us. We can understand how awesome God is. We can achieve so much more together than we can apart. The purpose of the church. I have a few ideas, and I, I really have been praying hard that as believers, I, I, and this is what's happening, there's a great shifting, sifting is rather what I'd say it. 
there's a great shaking and sifting in the body of Christ. And here's what you're seeing. You're seeing whether or not people have built their life on the foundation of the word. You're starting to see because unlike any other time in history, we have, we have as Americans, we have, we have literally experienced unprecedented prosperity. If you're in here and you feel oppressed, all right, and you feel, listen, those feelings aren't facts. Okay, fact, the fact of the matter is it has never been, we have never been as a human race in the United States more prosperous. But here's what happens in prosperity. We forget to rewrite the truth of God's word. And here's what happens when trials come, right? We see what we actually have built on. And that's really what the book of Ephesians is. When you study church history in, in, in uh, the city of Ephesus, this is what happened. God began to do amazing things. They were starting schools. They were building buildings. I stood in several of the churches that lasted for four centuries all right, But what was happening was the Apostle Paul, like an apostle, was laying a foundation for when, not if, persecution came. And persecution hit the church at Ephesus like a freight train. And here's what happened. God sifted the church. And what remained were those who built their lives on the truth of God's word. We learned several things about the purpose of the church. I believe if we can return to the purpose of the church... God will be able to do so much greater in us than he could ever do in each of us individually. The first thing that we see here is what's the purpose of the church? To reveal the mystery of Christ. This is the first purpose of the church, Ephesians 3, 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I briefly written above, chapters 1 and 2. By reading this, you were able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, this great work God does in us. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed through his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, the Old Testament was a shadow of, or a picture of a New Testament reality or revelation. Things have changed. We're moving into another time and God's using his church in a miraculous way. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Did you know even the devil didn't know about the church? He didn't. The Bible says that had the devil known what was going to happen when he crucified Christ, he never would have done it. Why? Because he literally signed his own death certificate. The things we face right now, they are death throes of a fallen, defeated foe named Satan. And it was all sealed the moment Jesus said, it is finished. The Bible says this giant four foot thick, full four, four foot thick, thousands of pounds curtain in the temple, which separated God and man, was torn from top to bottom. No man could have done it. The Pharisees laughed at Jesus when he said it was coming, but it happened just like he said. And that work was not finished. The Bible says that Jesus, before he ascended, descended, and he took all of the power of Satan over you. The keys of, the, of, 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 the, of hell that entrapped humanity ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, he took the keys and he was now the rightful heir. And the Bible says he ascended into heaven Many people don't realize this. He did send the Holy Spirit to us, but when he sent the Holy Spirit to release us in our work, he also released himself because his purpose is to stand, to sit rather, at the right hand of the Father. So every time the devil, who is called the accuser, 
day and night comes before the throne of God. Jesus shows his hands, which were pierced for every sin you and I would ever commit. He shows the evidence by the fact that he's at the right hand of God. He shows the evidence that death no longer has power. So that when God looks at you, when he looks at me, he does not see this frail state that we find ourselves in at times. He sees the resurrected Christ. That is powerful. That is a great mystery. And as Christians, you'll spend the rest of your life discovering and rediscovering the power of that moment. Colossians 1.25 says, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God, look what it says, fully known, fully known, all of it, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Why? Every time the devil wants to destroy a culture, every time the devil wants to destroy, he always goes straight at the church. Because as long as the church is here, there's no division strong enough that defeats God's multiplication through the mystery and the power of the resurrection. This is so important. The church is worth it. All of the tough stuff, all of the, 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 the friction of growing and filing off those rough edges, all of those even disappointments at times. I've learned this in my own walk with God. Disappointment with men and women of God is, is actually absolutely necessary. Do you know why? Because your hope isn't in a person. What does our culture say? Let's build up these idols of popularity only to backhand them off of their pedestal that we put them on. That is the way of the world. It's not the way in the church. The next thing that we see is the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Christ. I want to explain this because there's lots of people who would say you shouldn't get involved in what's going on in your world. You shouldn't speak the whole truth because we should be focusing on what they call the gospel. In other words, they take this book and the story about Jesus and they make it about one scripture, John 3, 16. They pull it out of its context and then they gaslight you when you don't measure up to their new interpretation of what they say to you it should be. However, when you read the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, it is one, everyone say one, it's one story. And to remove the gospel from the context of all of scripture, Jesus himself says, I am the word, all of it. I am the word made flesh. In the beginning, I was the one that spoke. I was the one that told Abraham, put that knife down. I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. Abraham had in that moment a bull that replaced his son on the altar. You might remember that story in Genesis, not in my notes. In that moment, theologians believe it was settled. It was settled. That would not be, that bull, that ram would not be the ultimate sacrifice. In that moment, he would become the ultimate sacrifice. That's a prophecy of the resurrection of the cross. Our job is to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Ephesians 3, 7, I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This is important too because Paul is saying here, I wasn't qualified by men. He's saying my power doesn't come from the world system. I was actually put here by God. This grace was given to me, the least of all saints. Here, there it is. Talk about qualification. There's only one place in scripture where the word disqualification is used. And it's the Apostle Paul talking in 1 Corinthians, only one place in all of Scripture where he says, 
I want to make sure I'm not faking it because I'm going to stand before God and give an account to him, and I want to make sure I make heaven and not hell. That's what Paul was saying. Only one. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that God, so that this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known throughout the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare as we wrap up this series in week six and as we go into the fall. Make no mistake, the things happening in our world, they are deeply spiritual. The worst thing that the church can do is look at this physical world and forget that there is a spiritual reality. There is spiritual warfare going on for your hearts and minds nonstop all the time. And the devil organizes just like an army. Any army that hopes to succeed always focuses on the biggest threats first. They always focus on the biggest threats. I tell believers all the time, if you're not being attacked, you're probably not living for Christ. You're definitely not a threat. And there are lots of people who have their holy assurance. They're going to heaven, but they're not a threat to the devil at all. However, when you step out, you speak truth, you do the right thing, even when it's hard, even when people don't understand, guess what happens? If it's founded on the truth of God's word, it always works. Too many times we'll make arguments and we'll join in with the world's clamoring and nobody ever wants to talk about any scripture. Or if they do, they take one little piece of a portion out of context. The truth of the matter is, as believers, you shouldn't listen to anybody that's on a platform like this telling you something that's different than God's word. Every single thing you should test and judge. Open up God's word. The Bible says the same spirit operates in all of us. There are things that you can know supernaturally. Ah, that's not good. Oh, that's not the right spirit. Even though outwardly it's like, well, you know, it's important. It's important. First, what does it mean to proclaim? The word means to speak. It's to speak. There's a reason why people are trying to get you to shut up. They're trying to get you to go back in your church. There's a reason why during COVID, liquor stores were deemed essential and the church was non-essential. Why? Because if he can stop the, pro the proclamation of the word, he can literally stop everything God's doing in the church and in the culture. It's so important this unbiblical phrase that we've adopted and this social justice garbage in our seminaries and in our churches. You see it all the time. It sounds really good on a bumper sticker or a meme. It says, preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. There's nothing more unbiblical than that. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. It is through the word that God transforms my life and your life. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing in Romans 10, 17. And hearing the right stuff, the word of God, day in, and day out, every single day. So what is the gospel? It's the whole truth of God. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says, Apostle Paul said to Timothy, because he had the same arguments, he would send Timothy to go pastor the church in Ephesus because they were struggling with this idea too. I don't know if I like that part. Man, that, but that you, know, you know, I can just imagine, you know, when you're preaching God's word, everyone feels like it's about them. It's not. By the way, we've been planning this series for six months. But God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly what we need to hear at exactly the right moment. And the truth is when we're lobbing the word of God into congregations and it hits you, right? It's like you throw a rock into a pack of dogs. The one that got hit is the one that makes the noise. And instead of cursing the rock or the shepherd that threw it, maybe you should consider why it hurt. Because that's where your growth is. I heard a guy say this. And I thought it was so powerful. Your greatest growth is in the place you least want to look. 
And the power of God's word, it calls God's word salt and it's light to our path. So when light gets shined on a really dark place and hits you in the eyes, this happens in our house every single morning. Adeline, you know this is true. She needs absolute darkness to sleep. When I go in, because she's the only one that hasn't woken up yet, and I turn on that light, the first thing she does is yank that cover over her head. And And guess what I do? Hey, it's time to wake up. It's better to be awake. It's more fun. It's more fulfilling. Your growth happens when you're awake, not when you're asleep. So I walk over and I grab that blanket and I yank it off. And I don't know if I'm going to get an angel or demon. I don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes the same thing is true as pastors work on things in our life. I have pastors in my life, man. They walk over and yank that blanket off. We got to get used to that. When you hear God's word spoken and your first response isn't, is that true? Let me look. But the first response is like, I want to close. I want to pull the blanket back over. That's the worst thing you can do. As a matter of fact, your greatest growth is when you feel these moments, you allow the Holy Spirit to soften you. Believers should be saved, not soft. They should have a thick skin, but a soft heart. That's what that means. And many times we have a thin skin and a hard heart. And God knows that. That's why we need the light and the truth of the Bible. Our responsibility is to preach or to proclaim the whole gospel. And I want to talk about for a few minutes how this works in the church. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you post on Facebook. You can tell if somebody loves God, loves Christ, if, only if, they do what he says. That's the only way. The scriptures call this fruit. The scripture says, obedience is better than sacrifice. I get up 15 minutes early. I sacrifice to be there. It doesn't matter if you don't obey God's word. You know you can be in church every single day for the rest of your life. You can be hearing God's word. So many people do that. And they think because they heard it, they know it. And it never makes it from their ears to their heart to their hands. And you can tell that that's the case because they never actually do what God says. It doesn't matter if my daughter says, I'll get up in a minute. If in 20 minutes, she's still in bed under the covers. And that's a picture, not in my notes, of the church. It's a picture of the church at different various times in history. And prosperity has allowed us to cozy up in our beds. And for the first time in probably 100 years, the church is experiencing opposition. It is. And we're not used to it. However, it's part of the Christian life. It's literally from the beginning, thousands of years, you can look at church history And you can see, right, that at moments when the church was uncomfortable and had to get serious about what the Word says and living it out in community with broken people, it was in those moments that the greatest revivals happened. Study it. Happens. The Great Awakening, the first and the second, happened when the church woke up. Every time the church wakes up, everything changes. And I believe, and I'm so excited about it. That's why we're starting school. That's why we're gathering people who have a call to ministry. Because when the church wakes up, that's when revival happens. How many of you want to see revival in our time? It's only going to happen when we get out from underneath the covers, wake up, and put our hands to the work that God gave us. We have to proclaim. So what is that work? How does it practically work? If Jesus says, you love me when you obey my commands, what are his commands? I love it because it's so clear in Scripture. Do you know Jesus, after he was crucified, after the stoners rolled away, he was resurrected, he walked on earth for 50 days. Over 500 people saw him in the flesh. There is more evidence first-hand account that he existed than Julius Caesar. 
He did it on purpose. And the first thing he did was he began to give commands to his people. We know this in the church as the Great Commission, but there's not actually one. He actually gave three commands in order in three different Gospels all before he went to sit at the right hand of the Father. And if the church is ever going to move in to effectiveness, we have to discover, and for some of us, rediscover what the purpose of the church is through the commands that Christ gave to those who would establish the church in the book of Acts. The first one was on the night of the resurrection. You might remember the disciples were scared. Their leader was just crucified. All of their expectations of what God was like and how things should be was shattered. Jesus told them, but they didn't want to listen. How many of you, it's kind of like that sometimes. You hear a word from God and he's so rich in mercy and grace. It's like, you just don't really want to hear it. Maybe you're not ready to hear it yet. They weren't ready, but guess what? Jesus was about to make him ready. The Bible says on the night of the resurrection, he appears through the walls because the door was locked. Guess what the disciples were doing? Self-censoring. They weren't speaking. They were scared. They were worried. They were allowing all of the drama surrounding them to snuff out what they were supposed to do. And this is what he says to them. He says, go into all the world and preach. Everyone say preach. Another word for preach is proclaim. Proclaim the good news to everyone. To everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone he refuses to be will be condemned. Believers do not condemn people. God's word does. The things that people feel and the dissonance and the hate, the vitriol that goes at the church, goes at its leaders, goes at you in your workplaces, in the marketplace, that isn't about you. Stop making it about you. It's the word that condemns people. When you open up the word, it's that bright room that says you're not all that you should be. He says, do not stop speaking. That's the first thing the church wants to do. It's the first thing that happens when the devil tries to defeat the church. Stop speaking. You're not essential. Hey, you can believe that. Just keep it in your own churches. And then it'll be in your own homes. 1933, this is exactly, this is exactly what the leaders in Germany did under the leadership of Hitler to the church. Hitler knew he had to deal with the church first. If you've never read Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. It's a big old thick thing. If it's intimidating, just get the audio book. It's pretty good. It's the first thing that he did. Hitler knew, Hitler knew, and I think we can all agree, he was pretty much a manifestation of a, of a demon. You can see what he did. The Bible says that the enemy still kills and destroys. Would you agree that that's what he did? Okay, that's what he did. And in preparation for what would come in the 40s, he went at the church. And there were many people, this is Martin Luther's church, who, because of prosperity and favor with the German government, because of all the blessings that they had received and all the college degrees they had, did you know that the people who ran the gas chambers, the people who were arrested, literally shot pregnant women in the head? Jewish, did you know they were the most educated people? Most of them had PhDs. Think about that for a minute. They were so full of the world's wisdom, but they had forgotten the wisdom of Christ. Martin Luther, by faith alone. Martin Luther, open up your Bibles. Read it for yourself. You don't need a pope. Martin Luther's church allowed the Nazi Holocaust. And make no mistake, history does repeat itself if the church doesn't wake up. He always has a remnant. And if you won't be used by God, number one, you, you won't be fulfilled. You won't. You won't walk into all that God has for you. He says, preach the gospel. Next, he says, make disciples. This is two weeks later, the Sea of Galilee. Remember Peter? He ran away. 
What do you do when things don't go your way? You go back to what you did before. Jesus told Peter, you're not to fish for fish. You're to fish for men. What did Peter do? He failed. And he goes back to fishing. Jesus shows up on the same place theologians believe he called him. Same place. Sorry, Julia. Kids are going to have to wait a little bit today. He says, make disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, before he ascended, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that was written by the apostle, but it was written by Luke. It used to be called Luke Acts. Right before he ascends to heaven, here's what he says. He says, demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit but you will receive power. We say power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? Power for yourself? No. Power to be witnesses. Power to preach and make. We call it reach and build here. That's the purpose of the church. There's no other purpose. Anybody else that tries to co-op the church for any other purpose, it's not a church. It's a YMCA. And it should be treated the same way. You might work out there, but you don't get your, treat. You don't get your truth from them. It's important. What do we do? We proclaim we preach, we make, and we demonstrate. That's what the church's role is. Next, we see that we're to live by faith. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Our faith does not come from our own righteousness. None of us are righteous. If God had to use, if God only used perfect people, we would not do anything. Every one of us, clay pots. The Bible says God takes those clay pots and he takes what they were once used for dishonorable purposes for honorable ones. Next, we honor and glorify God. We honor and glorify God. We don't live for the woke mob. We are always countercultural. That has always been the church's stance. Since the moment Jesus ascended and gave us our mission, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, not our power, his power at work in who? You? No, in us. The church is not a person or a small group. It's a body of believers who are being equipped by pastors. We're going to talk about church leadership next week because that's the next chapter. So if this is our purpose, how in the world do we get there? It's very important. I'm going to read this, and then I want to pray for you. I'm only eight minutes over. It would have been a lot worse if we didn't move service back. John 3.30. John the Baptist was called by God, Jesus said, there's no greater man than John the Baptist, but anyone in the kingdom is greater than he. And there was a time in John the Baptist's ministry where he used to do all the baptizing. He used to do all of that. And his disciples came to him and said, look, they're all going to Jesus. John could have gotten frustrated. He could have gotten territorial, but he didn't. Look what he says. He says, that's exactly how it was meant to be. For he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. This is the Christian life. Christian life is believers who are called by God, equipped by pastors, which we're going to talk about next week, equipped by the gifts given by Christ to the church. What happens in our life, here's how you know, you're growing in your faith. It's less of you, less of what you want, less complaining about the service, and more stepping up and into the call. It happened in John's life. It happened in the early apostles' life. Here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to make it happen in yours? Because God is not a bully. He will not push you. He will not make you do it. He won't. He offers you a choice, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Are you going to step up and into where I've called you to go? That's okay if you don't. 
your life will never be what it was supposed to be and you'll be miserable. And he'll use someone else. As you know, if you won't do it, he'll use someone else. He loves people that much. The question is, will we allow him to use us? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of these incredible people, Lord. This spiritual family that you're establishing, not just here at Vintage Church, but at all of our locations, not just Vintage Church in Central Texas, but churches all over the nation. Father, as churches fall away, as they move away from God's word, I thank you, Father, that there is a remnant, and that remnant is so much more powerful because you're with them than the crowds that are against them. And I pray, God, that you would continue to speak to us, continue to move in our life. And Father, I also pray that we would have the faith and the confidence in who you are to stand when everyone else bows. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're in here and you don't know Christ. You know if you don't know Christ. I don't have to ask you an awkward question. I don't have to invite you up. You know if you're playing with God. Maybe at one point you gave your life to Christ, but you're far from him today. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Your life will never be all that it was created to be apart from a relationship with God. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, you cannot get to God by any other means than through the person of Christ who died on the cross for your sins and resurrected in power to redeem your life, which is dead, into his, which is alive. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up. But I do want to pray for you where you sit. If you're in there and you say, Pastor, I'm far from God. I don't want to be. Would you just acknowledge that by lifting up your hands? Is there anybody in here like that? You say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it, put it right back down. I see you. Thank you. It's the most important thing. If you won't acknowledge him before man, he will not acknowledge you before God. It is the first step. It's not the last one. Is there anyone else? You say, Pastor, that's me. I want to stop playing. I want to get right. My relationship with God is the first step. Anyone else? In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you raise your hand, you really mean it. By the way, there's no magic in the words. There's only magic in the decision. If you didn't really mean it, if you're just doing it to check off of a list, God won't use it and you'll just keep doing it. But if you're really serious, I want you to pray this prayer just loud enough where you can hear with your own voice. As a matter of fact, believers all around you are going to pray with you to encourage your faith. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the next thing. You're going to get given instructions on how to grow, on how to take your place. If, you, if you're here, you need to come to Membership View. We're going to talk to you about how the church has been designed to help you grow, how it's not a cruise ship, it's a battleship, and it prepares you for every single obstacle you'll ever face in your life. But right now, we got to get your life right through Christ. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good, and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day, after you were killed on the cross, that you rose from the dead. I believe you conquered death once and for all to give me eternal life once and for all not just eternal life, but the best life now. And so today of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together.